First uh, Peter chapter four. We're going to be in the second half of the chapter and looking at verses twelve through nineteen this morning, and it's going to be a bit of a recap. You're gonna if you've been with us through our study through First Peter, you might hear what Peter has to say and go, "Here we go again." He's talking about the suffering of Christ. Here we go again. He's using the J word. He's talking about judgment and this reality that we're all going to have to face God and there's going to be an accounting for our lives. We're going to be judged. And we're like, ah, we don't want to talk about that. Peter likes to mention that, but we maybe want to shy away from that. It may be something of a review, but I think that that's okay because sometimes repetition means emphasis. So if Peter said it before and maybe we missed it or we went, oh, I don't really know, we may be returning back to some of these themes this morning as we listen for his words to these faithful and yet struggling, isolated Christians in the first century who things were not going well for. What we're going to hear in all of 1 Peter, but certainly this morning, is not a recipe for success. It's not, hey, you're having these problems, but here's how to make your life more comfortable. Hey, here's how to make your situation better. It's not going to be a, a way out. It's going to be perspective on what's actually happening and where we need to keep our eyes focused. So, get ready for that. Let's pray together. Lord God, we turn our eyes, we turn our hearts, and we turn our attention to you now. And we are listening in your word for what you would have us know. How you would have us live our lives. What kind of neighbors do you want us to be? What kind of spouses do you want us to be? What kind of parents do you want us to be? What kind of friends do you want us to be to the people that you have placed in our lives? We stretch out our hands this morning, ready to receive whatever it is you have to share with us. We pray that we receive it in the spirit of servanthood and discipleship, saying, Lord, we are yours, and we want your kingdom to come and your will to be done even if it means giving something up, even if it's going to cost us something. We say now, not being 100% sure what it is we're asking for, we say we are yours. Lead us by the hand and fulfill your promise to never leave us and never forsake us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's go to the text. Peter says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Peter has talked about this before. This is one of those here we go again things, things from Peter. What, what are we saying? You've already told us this. He's referenced having a positive outlook on suffering for following Jesus multiple times in his letter. And the, thing we, the song that we sung earlier, I want to know Christ, the power of his rising, sharing in his suffering, and being like him in his death. That comes from Philippians chapter two, uh, 3. This is Paul speaking. Peter describes the same kind of suffering in his letter. And for Peter, it's a kind of refinement. It's, uh, he calls it a testing. It's a preparation for faithfulness to be proven in the sight of God. This is something that's been expressed elsewhere in the Bible. In the history of God's relationship with his people, we hear the same kind of theme. This is Psalm chapter 66, verses 10 through 12. The psalmist says, For you, God, 
tested us. You refined us like silver. And then here's some bad stuff that we hope won't happen to us, but still sometimes does. You brought us into prison. You laid burdens on our backs. You let people ride over our heads. We went through fire and water. But you brought us to a place of abundance. God is faithful. And then Peter goes on to remind us of something that we heard earlier uh, in the previous chapter. If you suffer for doing what is right, you are actually blessed. Okay, again, we talked about this before. Jesus says this in his Beatitudes. You know who's blessed? We should probably guess. Uh, The wealthy are probably blessed. Uh, Those people who don't have to work on the weekends. Those people whose student loans have been forgiven. Those are the blessed ones in our society, right? But Jesus says, uh, no, it's the poor. The poor are blessed. People who are persecuted are blessed. And, And this is a surprise for us. Peter says, if you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you should suffer... It should not be as a murderer or a thief or of any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. I like that word, meddler. People who meddle in other people's business. Don't do that stuff. If you're going to suffer for doing those things, that's kind of to be expected. But if you're going to suffer as a Christian, he says, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. You might hear this and want to go, not really for us, Peter. We might hear this and go, well, I don't like to take orders from people. I don't like it when someone gets up 18 inches higher than me and says, you ought to do this because maybe you don't know my life. Maybe it's easy for you in your seat to kind of cast out these suggestions and say, oh, you ought to do this. You know, Peter, you walked and talked with Jesus. You spent time in Jerusalem. You saw these amazing things that happened with the church. The church you were a part of, can I say this, was a mega church? I don't know if that's fair to say, but men and women coming to know Jesus every day, thousands baptized at a time, this movement of Christianity when it was young and when it was fresh, but these Christians out in Galatia and Cappadocia and Pontus are going like, that's not my experience, Peter. It's easy for you to say, endure the sufferings of Christ. I'd love a solution. I'd love a story from your life about how things were hard. Because it's hard for me to relate to what you're saying right now. But the truth is, Peter did suffer for his faith. He can relate to the sufferings of these first century Christians. And he not only is telling them to rejoice in their sufferings, but he is one who rejoiced in his own sufferings. There's this wonderful story, maybe my favorite story in the entire Bible, from Acts chapter 5. This is when Christianity was fresh. This is, it was still... Strange and unknown, but the Spirit of God was moving. Amazing things were happening, happening miraculous encounters were things that people were seeing on a daily basis. Jesus was raised. The first generation of people who walked and talked with him were pronouncing that good news. Jesus is alive. The grave didn't conquer him. The resurrection is real. And they went out with that message. But not everybody wanted to hear it. They got in trouble for saying that. In Jerusalem, the apostles of Jesus Christ were put in prison. And they said, knock it off. That's a disruptive message. We think that that's an untrue message. Stop preaching it. They locked them in prison. They beat them with whips. And in Acts chapter 5, we read about a night when Peter and some of the other apostles are in prison, and the doors open. 
An angel of the Lord tells them, eh, we're just going to open the door for you. We want you to keep doing what you're doing. So they say, okay. They witness this amazing thing, and they walk out, and then the next morning, they're right back where they got arrested, in the temple courtyard, saying, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is alive. And the powers that be went, oh, okay. So we put him in prison, and that didn't work. So this time, we're going to put him in prison. That should work this time. They take the apostles, they lock him up again, and they have a little meeting. This is my favorite part. The wise old rabbi, Gamaliel, says, all right, here's something to think about. Every now and then, somebody comes along and claims to be somebody. And they attract a following. People start to listen and believe the things that they say. But there was this one guy, and it happened, and then it kind of fizzled out. He was killed. His followers didn't continue his message. They kind of just scattered and ran away. And then you remember there was this other guy not too long ago. The same kind of thing happened. He was killed, and then all of his followers went away. And it's interesting because the same sort of thing was happening now with Jesus. He claimed to be somebody. He developed this following. And then he was killed, but it didn't fizzle out. It actually got stronger. There are people you could go and talk to who said, we've seen the risen Jesus. And you might say, well, we could just show you his dead body and say, you're deluded, but they, they couldn't produce his body. This one was different than the other ones. And this rabbi Gamaliel, he recognized this. And so he said, well, here's what we should do in the present case. Let's just let these guys go. And let's just see how this plays out. Because if it's from God, you're not going to be able to stop it. If the Spirit of God is truly behind this, if what Jesus Christ claimed and what his apostles are teaching is actually true, then there's actually nothing you can do to keep it from growing. So just leave them alone, and let's see what happens. So the council says, all right, well, I guess, I guess that's what we'll do. They beat them one more time, just for good measure, and then they let them go and say, all right, don't talk about Jesus anymore. And of course they're going to. And Peter was one of them. And this is what it says at the end of Acts chapter 5. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, the council, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, that is the name of Jesus. And day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So Peter gets it. Peter has been there. He's taken his stripes. We don't get this in scripture, but tradition tells us that Peter was crucified. He was killed for his faith. So he has something to say to these Christians who are struggling and who are suffering and say, well, what are we supposed to do when we struggle and suffer? And Peter says, well, don't be surprised. That's going to happen. And as I read this and I think about my life and I think about our church, I wonder, is this our attitude when it comes to suffering? Or about our attitude about following Christ in general? Do we expect that there are going to be obstacles? Do we expect that there's going to be resistance? Do we expect that people are not going to want to reward us for being like Jesus? If I'm honest, a lot of the time, I hope that people will say, oh, that guy's a minister. He must be a good guy. Oh, that guy's a Christian. He's teaching his daughters to read the Bible and to, to, to know the Lord. Good for you. But that's not always the case. And you may have experienced in your lifetime, that used to be the case. More often, back in the day, it was something that was celebrated. It was something that was rewarded. But that's not something that we can count on anymore. You might ask yourself, why aren't more people coming to church? Don't they know that we have access to God here? Don't we know that Jesus Christ is alive and that's all we talk about here? 
Why aren't they showing up? It's not like it used to be. Why is it awkward when you ask your neighbors how you can pray for them? How if you have an awkward experience like that? Most people are pretty open to prayer, but if you start to get specific about your faith, it can be a little bit uncomfortable. It shouldn't be. Don't they know that there's a living God who loves them and interacts in their lives? I want them to know that, but they're not always interested in that. I had a kind of a strange encounter this week with a guy, and I mentioned in our conversation, the guy that I just met, I mentioned, oh yeah, I'm a minister here in town, I'm over on East Avenue, and you can come and talk to me sometime, we can pray together. And he said, oh, I hate the church. You're part of the church? All the church does is kill and rape. Is that what you like to do? Kill and rape? I was very surprised by that. I didn't quite know what to say. I think I said something like, uh, no, I, I can't say that I do. Uh, this is a strange encounter. What happened to the church's reputation? Peter's words to this question, Peter's response, what happened to the church's reputation is, don't be surprised. This is going to happen. Don't be surprised if you're insulted. Don't be surprised if you suffer. And don't be surprised if you're shamed. Because those who don't know Christ, they have no reason to celebrate Christianity until we give them a reason. That's a big part of what Peter has been saying. Don't be a murderer. Don't be a meddler. That's not going to do good things for the name of Christ. But you should endure under suffering. You should continue to do good works. One of the reasons maybe it's hard for us to accept this, to uh, accept that suffering is going to come, or to embrace the suffering when it does come, like Peter is saying we should, is because our eyes are too fixed on this life, on the things that we can see and touch and control. But what Peter is teaching us, and what we could listen and benefit from today, is having kingdom vision. Reminding ourselves that we have a view that goes beyond the here and now. We have a vision that trusts in the promises that God has made about our secure future with him. I have a living hope. I have a future. God has a plan for me. God will deliver me of this. I'm, I'm, I'm betting on, I'm, I'm sometimes confident about. That's not what we sing. Of this, I'm sure. Keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus is part of what we're called to do. And part of that, too, in a strange way, is anticipating the judgment of God. There it is. Talking about judgment. Let's hear what Peter has to say. Verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and of the sinner? This is, again, Peter reminding the people... Don't let the outside world determine your worth. Don't let them cast judgment on you, but be in tune with the just judge who gives just judgment. You should be interested in the judgment of God and not the judgment of what people around you are saying. This is another one of those here-we-go-again things, and I haven't really zeroed in on it until now, but Peter's mentioned judgment, the judgment of God he mentioned in chapter 1. He talked about it again in chapter 2. He, we saw it last week when we looked at the first part of chapter 4, and now this theme returns. And for Peter, God's judgment, like suffering for being a Christian, is not something that we should avoid, but it's actually something that we should anticipate and welcome. Uh, judging, as you may know, has become kind of a bad word 
in our society, for Christians and also for non-Christians. We don't like when it seems like someone is doing any judging. And that's maybe okay, because we shouldn't trust the self-righteous judgment of a lot of the people around us, but we should trust in the actual righteous judgment of our just God. I was hanging out with the teenagers this last week. We had an event over at Justin's house. Brittany was leading an activity, and it was a competition between two teams. And she said, I want each team to build a fort, and then I am going to judge you at the end of it. And one of the teenagers piped up and said, hey, I thought this was supposed to be a non-judging church. And I thought, yeah, that's pretty funny. I probably would have said the same thing myself if they hadn't beat me to it. But it reminded me of our knee-jerk reaction to the idea and the concept of judgment. Don't judge me. You can't judge me. That's not what Peter's talking about here. And we need to remind ourselves that judgment isn't always condemnation. It's not always competitive the way that one team building a fort is going to win and be judged the winners, and one team building a fort is going to be judged the losers. It's not always like that. It doesn't always end in condemnation. I've been watching the Olympics for the past week. There's a lot of judging going on in the Olympics. And I think to myself, man, if I was in Tokyo and I was being judged by Olympic judges, I would have no chance. I would not do well. That, that would be a scary experience for me because I am unprepared to be judged by their standards. But you know who's not afraid of Olympic judges? Olympic athletes, they know how they're going to be judged. They know what the standards are that they're going to be held to. And if they're standing up there on the podium and someone hands them a medal that they have won, I bet they're even grateful and appreciative for these judges that allowed them to be there. What Peter is reminding Christians here is that God is the one that you want judging you. Not these people in society who are insulting you, who are making fun of you for your faith, who are rejecting you. And he tells them, live your life by the standard of Christ's likeness that our just judge calls us to. Whether we like it or not, or whether we embrace it or not, we are all going to face the judgment of God. His holiness as a holy God requires him to turn his face against evil and to make a final decision to separate the sheep from the goats or the wheat from the weeds. And that could sound scary. But the good news is, God isn't going to judge us on how well we can do a forward double pike somersault. I wouldn't be able to do that. Most of you wouldn't be able to either. We are going to be judged on whether or not we accept and obey His Son, Jesus Christ. Do we love Jesus? Do we follow Jesus? Do we live like Jesus? And if we do, we can look forward to receiving the crown of life that God has promised those who love Him. Peter ends the chapter with this. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Like I said earlier, this section kind of is a recap of some other ideas, but it also draws us back to some core tenets of faith and examines us, or forces us to maybe examine ourselves and ask the question, how much do we truly live our lives with our eyes fixed on Jesus? How in tune are we to our relationship with the just God? Do we actually think that God still interacts in our lives today? 
Or is part of the reason we panic so much and part of the reasons we strive to get out of discomfort so quickly is because we are living in the here and now and we are in this mindset that all we see is all there is. How much do we live like we'll ultimately be judged by the just judge and not by a court of popular opinion? How much do we anticipate that the things we pray about will happen, that God hears us and God stays involved in our lives? I think with Christians, sometimes we can err on one extreme side or another. One side is that we think God is really involved in our world. God is doing everything and I am doing almost nothing. So what I just need to do is wait for God's intervention. And I'm going to be very strong in prayer. But I see these stories like Peter and the disciples being miraculously released from prison. And I expect that that will happen today. And that's a good view. This is that I believe that God interacts in our lives today. But if you say that that is all that happens, then you might just be sitting on your laurels and going, well, I'm just going to wait. But a lot of people will go in the other direction and they will say, God interacts in our lives very little. Believers will say, I believe the things that happened. I believe that Peter experienced this miraculous thing, but personally, I don't see a lot of lightning bolts these days. I'm not hearing the voice of an angel from the Lord. So what we get tempted to do is take a lot of things into our own hands and put our own trust and our own faith in the things that we can see and control and test and reproduce. And I think it's good to be hands-on with your faith, but if it's because you believe that God is distant, that technically makes you a deist. Deists believe that God is like a clockmaker who wound up the world, and he created it. Sure, he wound it up, and then he said, all right, it's going to wind down, and I'm going to be over here. That's what a lot of the ancients believed about the gods. Is they're, they're, they did something, and you can't deny their power, but they're far away, and they don't see us, and they don't care about us. So it's an extreme in this direction. I live my faith somewhere in the middle of those two things. I believe that God is active in our world today. I believe that our prayers matter. I believe that we need to walk by faith and not by sight. But I want to do my part as well. I say, God, make me an instrument of your peace. Use me for your purposes. And I want to say, yes, I am willing to go. I don't think it has to be an either-or kind of thing. I think sometimes God sets them up and we knock them down. Sometimes we set them up and then God comes and knocks them down. I believe that we can have a faith even as small as a mustard seed and God is going to make it grow into something that is huge and just unrecognizable from where it was. I believe that we are called to plant the seed, to water the soil, but that it's God that makes it grow. And the Holy Spirit's role in that is an important one. Peter references the Holy Spirit in, this, in verse 14. He says, If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the Spirit of glory and the Spirit of God rests on you. And that's something we shouldn't forget. The Spirit of God rests on us. The Spirit of God goes with us. The Spirit of God leads us. And sometimes it's in really dramatic intervention kinds of ways. But a lot of the time, I think it's in subtle ways. I think the Holy Spirit guides. Kind of like when Philip, who was a Christian, was guided by the Holy Spirit to the chariot of an Ethiopian eunuch. And he happened to, it seems like a coincidence, but Scripture tells us this is the Holy Spirit's leading. It led him to this chariot where someone happened to be reading the Scriptures about the Messiah. And he said, who's he talking about? What's going on here? Philip said, let me tell you about Jesus. That was the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads the way the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, where he was tempted, where he withstood the temptations of Satan. But the Holy Spirit 
facilitated that interaction. I want us to not lose sight of the truth that the Holy Spirit rests on us and interacts in our day-to-day -day lives. And I was reminded about this earlier this week. Something strange happened to me. Uh, I was, uh, so every Monday, usually my sermon writing day, I get up early, get on my bike, I go to the office, or I go downtown to a coffee shop, and I, I work on my sermon all morning. And this, this Monday, I woke up early, and I started riding my bike toward downtown, and I got a flat tire. Front tire just stopped working. I was like, oh, man. So I took my bike, and I walked it to Starbucks that was closer to my house. It's not the Starbucks that I go to. That's not where I was aiming on my bike. And, uh, I, you know, the bike sh repair shop doesn't open until 11, so it's early. I said, okay, well, I'll just order my coffee, start working on my sermon. Here I am. I found a seat in Starbucks, start working on things, and I look out the window, and I can see the front of Burger King. And uh, I ride out in front of Burger King, took a couple of sips into my coffee, start working on my sermon, and I see two guys, and they're doing this. And I, I can't hear, but I see that they're shouting at each other. They're squaring up like they're going to fight each other. They're even like starting to take swings at each other. And I'm, I'm in Starbucks, and I didn't really know what to do. I didn't really have a plan, but I jumped up, and I raced across the parking lot, and I go up to the guys, and I go, peace, brothers, peace, brothers. Hey, 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 talk to me, talk to me. And I, I stick out my hand, and I say, I'm Jacob. What's your name? I'm trying to, again, I don't have a plan. What am I supposed to do here? I'm trying to distract them. I'm trying to calm things down. I'm like, hey, I'm Jacob. What's your name? One of the guys was on a bike. I was like, hey, yeah, I got a bike too. Look at that. That's me over there. I got the, I got the flat tire. You know, it's been a crazy kind of morning. But I'm trying to get these guys to, to, to not pound each other anymore. By the end of that encounter, I don't think they became best friends, but they didn't, they didn't beat each other up. One of the, the guys walked away, and then the other guy got on his bike, and he went his way. And I went back in Starbucks, and I sat down. I thought, okay, that was, that was a little different. And it started to occur to me, there's a lot of things that kind of lined up for that to have happened. One, I was sitting and I realized, there's, there's one window out the Starbucks. Like, bathroom's behind me, bar here, wall, wall, just one view. The only thing I could see as I'm sitting in my spot was the front of Burger King. And I was sitting there on a morning that I don't typically sit there. This isn't the coffee shop that I go to. I got my bike tuned up that weekend. I got like brakes replaced and they fixed, fixed my tire and like it should have been in tip-top shape, but I'm biking and I get this flat tire. So I end up at this Starbucks that I never go to in this encounter that I happen to be able to intervene and maybe do some good in. I gotta think, okay. One, God's spirit I think was at work in there, one way or another, but two, it got me thinking about my attitude leading up into that incident. I got the flat tire and I was like, this is so frustrating. This is annoying. I took it to the shop. Like, they're not taking good care of me. This is going to mess up my whole morning. I walk the bike over to Starbucks. I sit down. I got to drink Starbucks coffee. I, I was going to go downtown and get some fancy coffee. But here I am. This is where I'm at. My attitude was, I was grumbling. I was frustrated about the things that were happening to me that were not part of my plan. But maybe God had another plan for me that morning. And I've been convicted since then, maybe that should be my attitude about more kinds of inconveniences that happen in my life, more kinds of struggles. And I don't suffer very much, but my, the Jacob version of suffering. Maybe it's an opportunity. Maybe God is at work here after all. And I want to be reminded of that. And maybe you will this week as well. Keep your eyes open.
for what the Spirit might be doing, how God's Spirit might be leading you. How do we walk by faith and not just by sight? How do we at Tri-Valley help each other keep our eyes fixed on things that are eternal? I think it starts with reminders like these that God is present and God is faithful. The thing I want to leave you with this morning as I invite the praise team to come back up here and lead us in a song about the joy of the Lord being our strength even in a time where we don't feel strong, even in a time where we feel out of control. The joy of the Lord, as Peter said, going rejoicing after a beating, the joy of the Lord is our strength. I'm going to leave you with some words, not from Peter, but from the Apostle Paul, from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And so we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Will you stand and worship with me?